0: Okay, well, if I, uh, I, if I was picking a, a song, I would pick Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys, or if, uh, if that one's not energetic enough, a question of balance from the Moody Blues. And, and I'll send you the MP3 of my song, and I say, if you said, ah, that one, we're going to use that one, I will make a, a decent recording of it, not, not the low-quality one that, that I'm going to send to you.
1: How could I not use the Fortran Blues? That's a song that our guest today wrote and recorded. His name is Scott Mayer. He spent 30 years at his last job, which is not very common these days. That lifetime was spent at Navistar a 500 manufacturer of trucks and diesel engines. Add to that that he spent around half of that time running the security team before moving to asset management. So we had to explore that, how you move from security to asset management. How do they work together? Scott,
0: thank you for joining us. Thank you, Alejandro. There is a common denominator in both of these. Uh, one of my particular skill sets is I'm pretty good at starting projects and getting them underway and getting people motivated to work on them. So when I took over in security, uh, it was uh, back in the year 2000, things were not as uh, dramatic as they are now. And we wanted to grow our security capability. So I took over that that group and uh, we were primarily focused on identity management at that time, but uh, that's what I did. But the common denominator is if you're going to be in security, you kind of have to know what's in the company. You can't focus on individual pieces. You have to have this general knowledge of the whole environment. And that general security knowledge then played over into software asset management because, again, if you're going to know what, what kind of software you have in the company, you have to understand the whole environment. And at that point in time, I was uh, getting near, I do have to say it, near, near the end of my career. I mean, people had seen I was there a long time, and they said they wanted to grow the software asset management group. So, uh, again, because of my ability to run projects and also uh, the general knowledge of the entire company, it was a good fit.
1: So I love that you mentioned that for both security and software asset management, you needed to run projects because definitely there's quite a bit of effort there, but you also led people. Tell me more about leading people and bringing people together to achieve the objectives because in security particularly, there's a lot of resistance to do security things because they are perceived as inconvenient. And some of that could also be said about a properly run SAM project.
0: Uh, yes, in both cases, you are serving the role of a of i hate to use the word policeman, but in some sense, you are uh, people uh you are an inconvenience to people because you're asking them to to build some structure and some organization. One of the things we did is uh we put in uh, a two factor in security and uh if you've been involved ever with putting in two-factor for ten thousand people, it's an adventure. And we put in RSA's two-factor, and then we decided to change over to Microsoft's MFA, and we had to do it again. And coordinating the implementation of two-factor with that many uh, users, it, it was an interesting exercise. Yeah, for I, sure.
1: I don't, I don't envy your position because I was involved in those projects a few years ago, and those are painful and and difficult. So from security to software asset management, what, what, what kind of value do you believe that security and software asset management have as disciplines in a modern organization? How do they work together if they work together?
0: Well, certainly, uh, there, there is a, they, they actually work together more than people might think. And the big issue is, is uh, versions, software versions. Uh, it's very difficult to know what versions of software you have, yet we know that old versions of software, except in the case of the solar winds crisis that's currently underway, but in the case of old versions of software, Uh, they have more vulnerabilities than the the new ones because in theory, the vendors are patching and uh, correcting vulnerabilities. So it's all about version control. And software asset management, that's what you do is you track the software you have and the versions you have so you make that information available to the security people. So there's a lot of, of overlap there.
1: And do you think that overlap is conducive of great or better outcomes, because we've seen in many organizations how security professionals have their own tools to do diagnostics and inventory and understanding what's out there, as you said at the beginning. But software asset management teams also have the same tools and they overlap. Do they talk to each other?
0: The tools don't really talk to each other, but I would suggest that my experience was that the tools that we had uh at Navistar with the uh, uh, Flexera were much better in detecting software on the equipment than the tools that came with the security products. Uh, the, agent, the, the Flexera agent was optimized to do a good job at that, and certainly when we looked at the competi- competing products to Flexera, that was also a strength of several of them. So I, 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 my claim is that I believe the software asset management system has better information than the security systems in terms of what's running on the computer.
1: And I would say that many security professionals will agree with that because one of the challenges of security-focused products or platforms to discover uh, potential security uh, concerns is that understanding the inventory means that you have to understand the catalogs of different vendors that are out there so we can match what's what. And because you have multiple different systems and architectures, what one system gives you can differ from another system and it ends up in the exact same software. So you end up having a a hard time prioritizing what to patch and what to remediate first.
0: Yes, that's true. You know what what's important and what's not is a very, very difficult uh, item. And of course, there's thousands of titles, and when you look at the versions, there's tens of thousands of titles with versions, and and it is difficult to prioritize.
1: So, how do you do that? How, what is your advice to people on how to prioritize the upgrades, the updates, the patch process cycles?
0: Um, boy, that's a good question, and I, I think. Th- Probably the the best advice is you have to insist that people keep up to date. Not, not only prioritizing, but really everything has to be kept up to date. And the problems you run into with uh, applications is people build in integrations with Excel and that sort of thing. And those don't necessarily come forward. So there's a lot of uh, animosity, if you will between the applications people and, and, the necessity to do patching and updating. And it's, it's an ongoing battle, but, uh, certainly one way to prioritize is you have to pay attention to what's going on in the world. And, uh, at least if, if, uh, incidents and things have cut loose, sometimes you have to go to the people and say, you have no choice. There's a vulnerability. You have to update. So I think number one is paying attention to where are the vulnerabilities is step number one. And the other one is uh, how widespread is a piece of software. If you maybe have a piece of software on one server, uh, you may, maybe that's not as important as something that's on many servers.
1: But those are decisions that you need to do as a software as management practitioner with security professionals, right? Because you're making decisions based on, on exposure to risk.
0: Right. You have to work with the security professionals and the software asset management people, but also the people who own the applications. Because when you get down to it, what's running on these computers is applications that are being used to run the business. So really, all three of those groups have to work together. Uh, No no single group can do it by themselves.
1: And do you have application owners that uh, ask you to accelerate and keep them up to date more often because they need the certain capabilities that are just released in the latest version. How do you, how do you put that in the balance with, with those that maybe you need to do slower because of the complexities of updating applications every week? Uh,
0: unfortunately, that, that is the challenge. Uh, some, some, some applications, keeping them up to date is no problem. But other applications, it's very, very difficult because over time, the company has made customizations, uh, say, unique integrations. And when you do the upgrades, those things don't work. And those become huge projects in and of themselves. And in those cases, uh, sometimes you have to get, uh, well, let say sometimes it gets pretty confrontational. Uh, you obviously try to avoid that. But it's a combination of education and being confrontational. And there's an old security line that goes around that says, never let a good incident go to waste. And of course, what that (laughs) means, if something happens, use that to make your point. Say, guys, this is what happens if you don't pay attention.
1: Software asset managers today are in the business of reducing risk. And one of those angles of risk is exposure to vulnerabilities to obsolescence that also drives risk problems. But how about the audits from from vendors, from your large and small vendors that uh, happen so often? What is your your view into software asset management role in audit defense?
0: Uh, Actually, I was going to bring that topic up. The other half of software asset management is license management. Uh, Besides knowing what you have is, are you properly licensed? That's really what software management is. And the audits from the vendors are are an interesting adventure. Uh, Like every other company, when I was at Navistar, we were subject to some audits. And it was an interesting scenario. Some of the vendors, particularly the smaller ones, when they run their audits, they really want to partner up and they're not necessarily trying to set up a hostile audit. In many cases, they just want to work with you and true up what you have. They're not in there to levy big fines or anything, but they're really there just to uh, to true up. And I found some of the vendors actually quite cooperative. Uh, you know, we would find something. we'd go back and forth a little bit, but uh, in the end they 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 were trying to work with us and not just make this a uh, a confrontational thing. Now, of course, Oracle and IBM, they have a little different approach. That's confrontational. They come in, assume you're guilty, and they're there to levy big fines. But the, the smaller vendors, uh, if you work with them, uh, at least a couple vendors, I thought Navistar was better off after we got done with the audit than we were ahead of time. We had better versions of their software. We got some different pricing. We had a number of things that worked out pretty well. And uh certainly, having a tool like Flexera really facilitated those those conversations. Tell me more uh, <laughs> that's yeah it's it's you know of course, I don't want to mention specific products or anything. I don't think that would be be appropriate, but yeah no, no no um i i I think that was uh, the the big thing is uh in in a couple of cases, we changed the way we license products uh you know to make it simpler um and in that kind of thing that they made a big difference and uh we were able to in some cases convince the vendor they had some tools they wanted us to run and we kind of convinced them hey the tools you're running aren't really giving you the right answers this is what we have and uh so that, that worked out pretty well so in some cases we, we we're educating the vendors again these are the small guys not the oracles and the IBM's for sure. And the other vendor that I found interesting is Microsoft uh, I, it, it, you know, it's hard to say something nice about Microsoft, but I felt that Microsoft was also trying to work more cooperatively with us and not make this a hostile situation. Microsoft uh, was putting more and more tools in to track your usage and things accurately to, to make this process easier. So I, I would really like to say something that I felt working with Microsoft was was actually getting better.
1: I got to say that uh, Microsoft has changed significantly under the leadership of Satya Nadella, Adela, right? So they became more friendly with businesses. They became friendly with uh, yesteryear enemies like open source and Linux. It, it's a different world out there for Microsoft. Did, did you see any change when you were running software as a management for Navistar on how Microsoft approached you as a customer, as a partner?
0: Uh, I, again, I personally felt not, they weren't getting any cheaper, you know, we'll make that clear. Microsoft is looking <laughs> to maximize their revenue. We all get that. But I, I felt that they, that they recognized that licensing and tracking use of license and tracking use of their software was difficult. And I really believe that they're making some attempt to, to simplify that. So that, that that's my take. Uh, I you know I don't want to be too nice to Microsoft because in the process they were maximizing their revenues, but they were doing it in what I consider a more friendly fashion and making it easy, easier maybe is a better word for the customers to to track the usage of their of their software. And when you compare that with Oracle, which is the absolute opposite end of that extreme. And I don't mind saying bad things about Oracle here. They are tough to work with, and they are tough by design. So uh, versus Microsoft, I think they're trying to get away from that.
1: What do you think we're doing wrong today in the, in the corporations of today? Forget about the consumers, you and me and, and Facebook and, and Twitter and sharing passwords and reusing <laughs> passwords and all of that stuff, which I know yeah. you're passionate about because I am too.
0: Yes, yes <laughs> indeed.
1: <laughs> in the enterprise world? What are we doing wrong in cybersecurity? I,
0: if, well, we're doing two things that, that are, I, I hate to use the word wrong, but uh, certainly one thing that we do is we have way too much stuff running. Uh, the, you know, thousands of applications in the company uh, forget the versions, just the, the, just thousands of applications. That can't possibly be necessary. Um, so I, I think companies really need to say, we are, we're going to minimize what we have. Now, one of the problems you run into is, of course, some guy in marketing or sales or, you know, pick a department, goes off to a conference somewhere or these days sits in a Zoom meeting. But he goes off and he says, boy, I really like this or that. I saw it. It's wonderful. We got to have this or we're going to fall behind. So they, you know, pretty hard to argue with the guy. He knows his business. He sees an opportunity. Uh, So they bring something new in. Well, the stuff comes in one at a time. And when you bring them in one at a time, it's pretty hard to argue each one down. But at the end of a period of time, you got thousands of these, of these items. And, and it just, you know, you, you have to, uh, we, we, we just really need to say is we need less stuff. And the other thing that goes on is, uh, if something is, is completed, we need to shut it down. And that is more difficult than it sounds because many times turning things off costs money. Uh nobody's interested in that. They're not rewarded to do that. You're rewarded in putting something new in not not turning something old off. But all that old stuff running around uh those are just wide open for uh you know for the security attacks and they're also places that you're spending money for and uh, not getting any value. So I, I believe the two things is just the sheer volume of products and old things that are not turned off.
1: And that's not just software, it's hardware as well, right?
0: Yeah. Well the hardware and the software go together. Uh, you know, if you if if a company really steps by and, and looks at their environment and says, What's running on this server? Uh, you know, how can we get rid of this server? Um invariably, if you look at each server, there's uh, one thing running on it, maybe, especially if it's an old one. And uh, you want to shut that one thing off. And invariably, you'll find some guy in the corner of the business that's built his career around that thing. If you shut that off, it's like pulling a leg off the guy. And, uh, you know, but we, you know, companies just need to say if something's been around for more than 10 years and hasn't been touched, we're going to shut it down. In in, so the, that, in our business, like the work, go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry.
1: That, that looks like the work of software as managers together with business application owners together with security. You're talking about reclamation and simplification, which drives costs down and risks down as well. So exactly. What What is your experience? Let's talk about Navistar because that's where you spend the last thirty years of your career. Uh, what's your experience in being able to actually do that? You said it's difficult, but. What is the driver for it and how do you gain support for such ideas?
0: Where you, where you really gain support is you, you can make a case that all this old stuff is costing us this much money and there's no value being derived from it or very little value. And that's, that's really what you have to do is you have to identify it and then you have to sort of expose it to management and when you know management's working on the budget, you say, uh, you know, this is the kind of budget we're spending every year to keep this old stuff going is this budget we want to spend? And when you say
1: identify, uh, I'm assuming you you want to collate there, identify, which means visibility, basically, on software, on hardware, on SaaS and cloud, everything in one place, you can make a, a conscientious decision, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, you need you need to be able to do that, and it takes a lot of work to gather that data too. But again, with the, the software asset management and uh, hardware asset management tools, we, we can do a much better job at that than we used to be able to do. So gathering this information is not quite as difficult as it once was.
1: And then you follow like a playbook, like, hey, now we have visibility in everything we have. Here's the data. Uh, let's start cutting, for example, duplicate uh, applications that are similar to standards or... Is there a playbook for how you follow process or is it case by case?
0: Uh, it, the playbook really is if the CIO is able to get the attention of the business to say, business, this is where our money is going, then the business will cooperate. And then you just put a list together. These are the things we're going to shut down and make that a project. And then you keep track of progress. And if you run into snags as you're going through that project, you treat them like any other project with snags. You have, at that point, dig in and, and deal with it. But in most cases, the problem is not technical. In many cases, the problem is, uh, is people and processes have to be changed, in many cases, to shut down old stuff. That's the most difficult part. Oh, by far. Because, again, you got to work with people who are dug into their processes. And uh, unfortunately, that's, I mean, we're all that way. I'm sure that we have our favorite things that that we all do. And and, uh, somebody coming around who doesn't know what we do, telling us we have to change is not well received.
1: So it's all about collecting the right data, having the right metrics, creating a community and support based on the outcomes that you want to achieve and bringing people together, which is how you started this conversation, right? You you, you thrive in running projects and bringing people together to achieve objectives.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in some cases, you need some muscle, too. Uh, you know, I, I hate to use the word muscle, but in some cases, you need to go to some stubborn users and you got to say, Guy, we are not having a discussion on this topic. This is going to happen next Friday. Get ready. And, and you have to do some of that. And, and again, that's not fun. You know, going to people with that kind of message, but uh, um,
1: but you have to have the backing from from management and from the business. You have to have data to support that uh, muscle, right?
0: Exactly, and and again, that goes back to uh, not only budget, but that's why in the world of security, you never let a good incident go to waste. And you know, because again, that that helps you get some strength. And really, it's same thing true in software asset management. If you've just been subjected to some kind of an audit and you paid some kind of fine, again, you can go to the business and say, by not paying attention to this kind of stuff, this is what happens. And this, it's current data that it, it gets their attention. If you show them three-year-old data, they're not too interested.
1: A lot of the data that you make decisions upon uh, is housed internally, but a lot of the data is outside. We've talked already about the Vulnerability data, that's something that you extrapolate or get from the outside in and match that to your internal data. But there's other things like, for example, lifecycle dates uh, of software that reaches obsolescence that is important for you to make decisions. What other data points do you collect from outside of your four walls to help you make decisions with the information that you have inside?
0: I think the other data that's important is just the sheer quantity of, of stuff. You know, I call it stuff, but applications running on the machines. I can remember when I would go to management and say, you know, we got 9,000 titles running in this company right now. Does anybody know what they all do? And, and you could just see the blank faces on, on people said, how can we possibly be organized with this much stuff? And, and so I, I'm going to put a quantity factor in there, too, if I can.
1: Scott, any parting words of wisdom for those that are looking to have a bright and long and good career like you've had?
0: Uh, you got to love what you're doing and love the people that you're doing it with. And how could you not
1: love working with Scott?
0: I certainly love interviewing him.
1: Remember, we're coming to the end of the first season of the podcast. And I want to remind you to go and subscribe. This podcast is possible thanks to the sponsorship by Flexera. Flexera helped Scott in his career at Navistar, as it has helped many, many people around the world that you have heard some of them in this podcast. Go to Flexera.com for more information. This is Alejandro Lavi, your host of Rockin' IT.